Well, thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. On this episode, we are going to be discussing God in the book of Esther, which some of you might be surprised because you know that God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. This typically would be content that I only have on the audio podcast, but there are some visuals that I think are going to help this episode. And so I am putting it on the YouTube channel. So if you are a a subscriber to the podcast, but you've never checked out the YouTube channel, uh, head on over to the YouTube channel, uh, check out this content and vice versa. So uh, we are going to jump right into this. I hope this is helpful and beneficial to you. We are going to ask the question, what is happening with God in the book of Esther? All right. So the first thing that we need to consider when we're talking about the book of Esther uh, is, is God really absent in the book of Esther? Or is this is the absence of God's name, because it is true that God is never named in the book of Esther, is it true that he is absent? Or is that a literary device used to show that God has not forgotten his people? I'm going to argue here that the absence is a very loud absence, that the absence of the name of God is actually intentional, that it is a literary device used to show that God has not forgotten or abandoned his people. Now, why do I say that? We need to understand first and foremost, what's in a name? That is the name Esther. Here you can see in the Hebrew, after the pointing had had been put on, I believe it was the the Masoretes that had put on the, the pointing system to show the vowels, Uh, Anyone reading Hebrew would know that this is Esther, the vowels, all the dots and all that kind of stuff. They tell you what what vowels are there, how to pronounce the word. However, before the, 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 the vowel pointing was there, this is what the name would show up as. It would just be the four consonants of the name Esther, and that's it. We're going to talk about why that's important here in a second. But this actually was used, I think, as a literary device for to show Israel that there is a promise of a future that's coming. Why do I say that? Well, Esther builds on the history of Deuteronomy. Um, it, it's building on the history uh, of, of the Israelite people, and they are in exile. They, they have sinned against God. They have sinned against uh, him by worshiping other gods, by sacrificing to idols, by sacrificing their children, and so on and so forth. And Deuteronomy, specifically 20, chapters 28 to 34, talk about the curses that will come with covenant breaking. That is, if Israel, not if, when, if you read the language of this, of this section, God says basically, when you violate the covenant, this is what's going to happen. It declares what's going to happen. And we read one of those promises of curse in Deuteronomy 31, 17 to 18. And it reads, quote, Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day 
because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. Now, what's interesting to note about this is the verb, I will hide, I will surely hide. I actually didn't get the other one. Uh, it's, it's also up in 17 where it says, I and I will hide, forsake them, and hide my face from them. Why is this important? It's important because when God says, I will surely hide, he is saying that when the Israelites commit sin and idolatry and they break the covenant in the most foundational ways that God is going to hand them over to the nations that they will be uh, that they will come under the captivity of the nations and they will go back into servanthood that is that is the expression of how God will hide it's not that he just puts his hands over his face and physically hides his face he hides his face he turns his face away from them remember the great ironic uh, benediction that he will turn his face towards them and give them peace when God hides his face, he's removing his protection, he's removing his blessing, and they go into exile. The Jewish exile that, that Esther was experiencing was a fulfillment of the curses, the covenant curses that God had warned Israel about if they violated the covenant. So why is this important? Remember, Esther if you look at the Hebrew term for Esther, well, when they're vowel pointing, they look very different. Uh, uh, they, they, they look like different words that pronounce like different words. But when the book was written prior to the, the, the vowel pointing, millennia before the vowel pointing, maybe not millennia, but, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries, every time the Hebrew reader would read Esther, 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 they would also be reminded, I will hide, I will hide, I will hide. It is a reminder that God has hidden his face of blessing from them and that they are in captivity and that God will hide. However, this carries an intrinsic promise of a future for Israel. Why is that? Well, when we read Deuteronomy 31 through 10, that, that section, God also tells them this. He tells them after all of these curses, when these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, Sounds familiar, right? One of the great commandments that Jesus summarizes the law. With all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make your, you more prosperous and more numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and your enemies 
who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your father's When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commands and his statues that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That is, there is great promise. Yes, God is hiding his face, but he promises that if they turn, if they repent, if they return to God, He has not abandoned them forever. In the terms of the prophets, he has spared a remnant. There will be a return to the land. God will bless them. But we understand as Christians, this is not just about returning physically to the land. This is not about keeping the the commandments of the law in the sense of every jot and every tittle of keeping it in the legal sense for our justification. We understand that there is more going on and we understand this as as what is called types of Christ. And here I, I'm not going to list these all out. I'm just going to read through some of these. Here there are there are types of Christ that fall into this uh, into Esther. There there is so many connections that people have pointed out. There's there's Exodus connections where where Exodus starts the 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 the, the, the formation of the nation of the nation through salvation. Whereas Esther is the reformation of the nation through salvation. Exodus and Esther actually book, bookend the Old Testament timeline with national redemption, with redeeming the people out of, cap, out of captivity. That, that Exodus uh, is, the, is the formation of the nation of Israel by redemption, and Esther is that final stage and the reformation and, and the starting of the promise of the protection of God's people by redemption. They actually bookend the Jewish calendar with salvation events, right? Passover, the great passing over is the 15th of the first month of Nisan, the, the first month of the calendar. Purim is, is the, 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 the salvation event that is celebrated on the 15th of Adar, the last month of the calendar. There, there are types and shadows or shadows and substance. Esther's fast began on the 14th of Nisan, which is also the beginning of Passover. The substance, Christ's death, occurred on the 14th of Nisan. There's, there's the shadow, there's the fasting in the Old Testament, which was considered an affliction and a sacrifice. In fact, the word for fasting is it can be translated as afflict yourself. It's used multiple times in Leviticus 23, 27, and 29, Psalm 35, 13, Psalm 69, 10, and so forth. The substance of that is Christ was the sacrifice who's afflicted for us in Philippians 2, 1 through 8. The shadow is that the end of the fast on the, on the third day, on the 16th of Nisan in Esther, Christ rose on the third day to end the affliction on the 16th of Nisan. There's the shadow that Esther had to put on royalty to approach the king, the substance. Christ was glorified. He put on glory to ascend to his throne in heaven. There's the shadow of Esther's intercession to deliver her people being granted. There's the substance of Christ's intercession to deliver his people being granted. There's the shadow of the Gentiles 
uh, that are delivered being brought into Israel because of Esther. That's actually kind of a double shadow that happens in the Exodus also, but it happens again in Esther. But the full substance is the Gentiles being being delivered and brought into Israel because of Christ. Uh, there, there's the final and, and very important shadow and substance that many have pointed out that Esther throughout the book constantly has to hide her identity until the very moment of salvation that she steps out of hiding to save her people. That, that just as that moment she steps out to save her people and that the salvation of her people ends and or results in the judgment of their enemies. So too with Christ, he reveals himself at the moment of salvation in redemptive history and to judge the enemies of God. In fact, this may actually help us to understand what's been called the messianic secret, where throughout the gospel, specifically in the gospel of Mark, but throughout a bunch of the gospels, that Jesus is, throughout his ministry, he's constantly telling people, surprisingly, to not say who he really is. He heals them and says, don't tell anybody. Go show that you've been healed. Make proper purification, but don't tell people who I am. He tells the demons when they they say, you know, you are the son of God. He commands them not to tell people who he is. And so God in Christ, in, in in the actual representation in the name of God is hidden until the moment of salvation. So is God hiding in the book of Esther? Well, yes, sort of. It's used as a literary device to show that God is hiding his face, that God has turned his face away, that he has removed the blessing from the people but just as, as he said that they would when Israel would sin, just as he promised that, he also promised that there would be a return, that he would protect a remnant. That, that, that this silence is just absolutely dripping. It is freighted with hope and the promise of God that he will not always hide his people, that he will restore them to the land, that he will restore their blessing, that he will redeem them, that he will save them. Ultimately, God saves us. He saves his people, not just by revealing his name, not just by turning his face back towards us, but by giving us the exact representation, his manifest, his dwelling with us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So I know that's a bit of a short episode. I hope that's helpful. I thought that this was just a fascinating uh, thing when I when I was studying uh, the book of Esther. I hope this was beneficial to you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free to reach out uh, to, to me. Uh, you can email freedthinkerpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit the blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com or join in the discussion. Come and join the Freed Thinker group page on Facebook. Good night and God bless.